7 to 8 p.m. Sport on with Tabiso Musia. Good evening. Thank you, Greg. Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. I am not alone as usual. Leolom Kalip and Katlaho Mudiba are the producers and Baba Lom Duma is in technical tonight. It was another thrilling weekend of action. Topsy-turvy results depending on where your allegiance lies. The box ending their year-end tour of Europe with a defeat to Wales and coach Rasia Rasmus has given the team a scorecard of 5 out of 10 and we will hear from former Springbok Lock Bucky Porter who will give us his scorecard of 2018 after the box won 7 out of 14. Is there reason to be concerned? Are there uh, positives to take out of this year? And what are those positives? And most importantly, what do the box still need to work on uh, ahead of the World Cup in Japan next year? There was, of course, also the Soweto Derby, another defeat for Kaiser Chiefs against their arch-rivals Orlando Pirates and Chiefs legend, South African football legend, Dr. Kumalo will give us his views. Uh, He was on uh, SABC Sport this weekend as part of the crew that was covering that game and we also want your reaction on the Soweto Derby. We spoke about it on Friday with a certain Vili Lemnyandu saying that we might have to call him again on Monday. Uh, because uh, he was saying that there could be a surprise. Funny enough, Chiefs were the underdogs going into that game and how many times are Chiefs the underdogs in a match. So clearly things are not as rosy as they should be at Amakosi. So give us your thoughts on 891 That's our studio number. SMS 40938. WhatsApp voice notes 061-4104-107. And for the latter part of the show, we will speak to a group of SA hockey players who have challenged SA Hockey on transformation issues in the sport. You might remember that we did the story back in August, and uh, but the players in SA Hockey were not able to join us to join the conversation at the time. But the players will be in studio tonight, and they will tell us about their challenges and about their meeting with SA Hockey that took place at uh, this past weekend. So it's a packed show uh, tonight. And after the break, we speak to Dr. Kumal. Leading sport stories of the day on SAFM. And let's get straight into it. Dr. Kumalo joins us on the line. Doggy, say good evening and thank you very much for joining us on SAFM. Uh, good evening to you, and to the listeners. Firstly, what did you make of the game? Was it a good game of football on Saturday? Uh, well, I would say not that real, you know, because at some stage uh, there were places whereby it deteriorated a little bit. Um, I'm not too sure whether, you know, we, we, we usually talk about the importance of, a, of the first goal in a match as coaches. Now, when you talk to the players, what does it do to you, for you, or against? So when Pirates scored the first goal, that's when now the game started to, like, to lighten up in terms of the standard that we were expecting. But again, it dropped. And then uh, again, when Chiefs scored their first goal, then started to live it up again. And up until Paris scored their last goal, you know, but it had its own faces. But I wouldn't say it was just a standard performance, you know. Mm. I was watching the game on SABC, Doc, and you said at some at some stage that you were surprised that there were no players on the Chiefs' side that can excite the crowd, that can get the crowd going, and some people seem to agree with you. Was the spark missing in the Chiefs' midfield? When you when you have these two teams playing, and uh, when you have a a, uh, a stand-down Chiefs game, you know, uh, these are high-profile games. This is when are you in need of the 12th player, which is a supporter. And obviously you could tell from the Pirates' side, whenever Nyatama or Lodge takes the ball, you know, you could get some excitement in the fans. And this is what has been the norm at Kaiser Chiefs, that you have to have that individual that will make a difference, even though we play as a team, but that individual will make a difference because he will excite the supporters, and that on its own, it's got an effect on the opponent. Because you can imagine that individually, if he changes or dances around, you know, we we have the entire team now starting to gain confidence. But now if we starting to knock, knock under the wall, but now we don't try to penetrate through, then it's 
we get problems in terms of concentration and also we get frustrated. So this is what was happening. When I, I looked at the lineup 30 minutes before the kickoff, and this, I was saying, of hey, this looks not good because I was not too sure what was the primary tactical uh, approach for the coach or the technical team. But then again, I looked at it again and I thought, probably he wants to press high using the four attackers and two central middle fielders and the back four. So which was the case. And as the game uh, progressed to like the first 20 minutes of the game, mm. then that's when I indicated to the guys that this is what I was talking about. Which is so what they, you used to do in your days, Doc? Yes. It's not only me. I can give you names. The late Ace and Children, Teenage Ladder, Tabo Moki, Ace Kruse. Those are the players that I used to ignite the players and the supporters. Jabu Pule Mashanda. Now, if you don't have that individual, Shaba was the key player in that department. So, always, whenever you look at the key team, there must be that individual. Mm. And besides that midfield, what what other areas would you say probably went wrong for Amakosi on the day? For me, uh, as an individual, from my own uh, analysis and my own uh, experiences, there there are five pillars that guarantee your performance: technique, tacticality, conditioning, social, and mental. Now we look at the first derby. Castro wasn't, he hasn't played for seven games, but mm. he just walked through to the team, and which was guaranteed a high intensity. Telcom knockout, Manyama was out for plus of four, three games, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. He came back straight into the field. And that, that analysis was also like, Guaranteed, and the coach also, he even mentioned it in his post-match analysis to say he knew that Mayama wouldn't finish 90 minutes. Then, for me, if you do that and you have four or five hundred percent players, then why risk it? Mm. We also heard from Itumelo. That, that is a technical, I mean, the game is a teacher. It's, I'm talking about what I saw, and I'm not trying to press anybody, but yes. it's what I saw. Yes, yes, yes. So people with different opinions, but this is what I saw. And we heard from Itumilen Kune after the game, he didn't hold back, saying that the jersey is too heavy for some of of the players. Would you agree with that? The gesture spoke volume. Each and every time Paris would score, he would scream, shout loud and throw hands, you know, all the all those furniture. You could tell there was frustration. And for him to say that, obviously, he knows that. What does it take to lose against Orlando Paris? Or what does it take to play for Kaiser Chiefs? Because we all know very well, after turning down that contract, or three-year contract, whatever, mm. you know very well that this is a team that has a, a pedigree in terms of putting a smile on the supporters, bringing trophies, and making sure that you understand what is the culture at Kaiser Chiefs. And would you rather have somebody that is so honest, uh, dog, or somebody that keeps their feelings to the media and just uh, away from the media and just discusses these issues in the dressing room? What does it do for the team if Kune is so outspoken? What was they say that again? I'm saying, what does it do for the team if Kune is so outspoken against the players? Is it good for the team? Well, when you look at it, yes, of course, it, it does impose a good uh, spirit in terms of he's telling the truth. It's after the match. Look at the situation where he's coming from. He's a, 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 a player that has been there for years, and he was frustrated for the second time within a couple of weeks. The boy, he was echoing what he was feeling at the moment. But yes, of course, when you look at it, it wasn't that good at all, because now these are the very same teammates that he missed them on Wednesday. Mm. How are they going to look at him? They are training all yet tomorrow. But who is he referring to? The beauty of the whole thing, he didn't mention names. It's just for us to figure out what is he trying to say, who is he talking about? Yeah. And I remember a story... So, so, yeah. 
No, I was saying, I remember Tinashe Ngomashe uh, said when he came to Chiefs, you set him down and you explained to him the importance of the Kaiser Chiefs jersey. And he's never forgotten that. There there are certain things that you you, you need to insinuate in certain individuals because they don't know, they don't understand. But because some of us, we were born being the Chiefs players and we understand, we need to help. And these type of games also, they they need some, some you know, the social mentality, the classic mentality type of a thing. Mm. You know, because at some point we were given an opportunity to coach the team. And I once asked a friend of mine to call me at half past four because I knew very well it was 10, uh, probably the last 10 minutes of the train. And I said, Tinaj, uh, you've got a phone call here. And this guy was like, hey, I'm so glad Mm. I'm going to show you flames tomorrow. And he was so upset. It was a mind thing that I did. Because I knew that he so if he doesn't play, Paris wouldn't play. <laughs> <laughs> what a story, Doc. <laughs> now, a lot of people are losing faith in the coach after this defeat, especially in the derby. Is it too early to panic? Or can you, can you understand why the supporters are being frust- are frustrated, Doc? I would say uh, it, it's a bit early. I think uh, the, the the coach needs to be given uh, a chance. Yes, it's a costly one because it's against Orlando Pirates. We know their value and we understand the situation when it comes to the daddy. You know, he was so unfortunate that he lost both games. And uh, this is where now the supporters gauge your, your abilities. But from the look of things, I, I strongly believe that if given a better chance, you know, he will probably be a better co- I mean, have better tactical approach and understanding the players and you will get it right at some stage. So maybe it's better not to panic, but let's see what is it that he can do because I wouldn't think that the chairman or the team, the club, would have got his services or acquired his services if they knew very well that his CV was not sound and he was not the better person for privacy. So... Let's give him a chance. Uh, I think it's better for the supporters to give him a chance. And let's not judge him on based on two games. Yes, we understand the value of the games, but if the supporters can just give him some time for him to settle. In your time, Doc, did you ever lose three derbies against Pirates in one year? What? <laughs> okay, it sounds like I'm speaking French to you. That sounds sorry. That sounds like a foreign language. Eh? I think. Uh, what did you say? I said, did you ever lose three derbies in one year against Orlando Pirates? When I was playing. When you were playing. I, no. Not in your I time. No, no, I can't recall that. <laughs> they can only beat us once. We beat them four times. Well, that's the Kaiser Chiefs that people are saying they know. That Chiefs of Doctor Kumalo. Let's just go to one voice note here. Good evening to you and your listeners, sir. You know, with all the expert analysis that you're getting, what we as a soccer nation in South Africa are failing to realize is that South Africa has never produced players like Asim Solengi, Teenage Gagla, Wagga Wagga, 90 Minutes, No Mistake, Sami Iwi Kambula, Andres Chicha, just a few to mention. We've never had that breed of players again. There's something drastically wrong with South African football. Okay, and I think that goes with what Doctor was saying about those players that excites the crowds, especially in these derbies. Doc, on the other side, though, what's impressed you most about this Pirates team? And also on Saturday, what impressed you the most? Well, when you look at Pirates, it's not about uh, the two games that they've won back-to-back against Kaiser Chiefs, but uh, it's when they started, uh, when Mitchell and uh, Rolani came on board, you know, because the true reflection of the team is made by what is happening on the bench. So when the bench is vibe, the vibe on the bench, obviously you will find one inside. And so the chemistry between the, the bench and and the players, you could tell that uh, the technical team was one, the dressing room. Hence, the working relation between the assistant and the coach on paper, though, because we say Ngulani is an assistant on paper. But from the look of things, he's a coach. And Mitchell is a coach. 
So they work hand in hand. They work together. And you look at how they read the game, which is very important because the game has evolved. In today's game, the bench is the one that wins game for you. Mm-hmm. And if you look at their subs, you know, each and every game, I usually follow and watch because of that I'm, I'm into the game. I learn from them because they are doing very well. I learn from Pito, you know, they are Frankie Davis, Lenny McCarthy. I learn from the coaches because most of the coaches here, you know, they're very inclined and very quick in terms of tactical approach. And also, you know, what excites me about the, 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 the Pirates team is that the team that is selected for the particular game is the team that they think is going to give them the results. Mm. So they don't just chop and change unless if it's injuries or suspensions. But based on what I've seen, they select the team based on what they want to, 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 to achieve come that day. Well, they face a team that you know very well in Barroca in the final. How do you see that game going in PE? The game against uh, Barroca, it's not going to be an easy one for Pirates. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, yes, of course, uh, there might be minus, but let's look at the current uh, uh, performance. They've got it three out of three. And then they had a, a hiccup in terms of the coach that lost the mother and the in DC cultures to take over. And I think the turning point, that was it. And the beat sundowns for them to advance to the same. Mm. And the beat first. So now you look at the teams that they're beating. All those teams they're beating, they fall in one category, which is category A in the PSL. Because mm. as coaches, we categorize teams as A, B, C. So there's a different way of approach. But these guys, they're beating sundowns, Sitting back and are going to face pirates, so they've already decided to climb the mountain. They are in the middle now, they want to be on top. So, but pirates, obviously, with the two technicians that are very well experienced, they know very well what to expect. They know very well that it's not going to be easy. Thing. But I'm not too sure whether I should say there would be a surprise or pirates will be probably the crown detention because of the evidence. Okay, we'll find out in on the 8th of December in Port Elizabeth. Dr. Kumalo, thank you very much for joining us on SAFM. We really appreciate your analysis and your wonderful insight. And thank you once again. Thank you very much, my friend. Thank you, 16V Mtogi, the legend himself, uh, Dr. Kumalo. There's no one else to speak about Kaiser Chiefs than uh, Dr. Kumalo. The man is Kaiser Chiefs just when he walks in the streets. When you see him, you see uh, Kaiser Chiefs. There's a lot of reaction. We're going to speak to Bacchus Porter shortly, but we'll just play one or two of your voice notes regarding the Telcom knockout semi-final between Chiefs and Orlando Paris. Also, well done to Barroca for reaching their first cup final under a former Kaiser Chiefs striker in Wetsin Wada Nirenda. So, you've reached a T-junction on the road. You can go left or right. Within 32 days after receiving an Arto traffic fine, you can pay the fine and get a 50% discount. Pay in installments if applicable. Nominate the driver responsible. Make a representation or elect to be tried in court. To learn more about the Administrative Adjudication of Road Traffic Offences Act and your rights and options as a motorist, go to rtia.co.za. Change the way South Africa drives. RTIA, giving you peace of mind on the road. EFC hits Menlin on 8 December with two massive title fights. This Sunday, see the buildup as former champ Ruan Potts prepares to take on the gigantic American Jared Bandera for the interim heavyweight title. Plus, the best females clash as the USA's Cheyenne Velismas and the Italian champ Chiara Penko fight it out for EFC gold. The countdown to EFC Menlin this Sunday at 10 p.m. on SABC3 brought to you by SABC Sports. AFM leading the conversation. Okay, so much reaction on social media. Vincent says, from what I'm hearing from Doc and what we're seeing on the field, someone really has to sit with a couple of these uh, players. Patrice is available. Who? Okay, I'm not sure if I if I if, if I got that, Vincent. Patrice is available. Bring him in January. Oh, of course, Patrice Cataran. Okay, I, I hear you. I hear you there. And then Morolong um, says Doc is right. Chiefs badge is not respected nowadays. Anyone who can run a hundred meters, 
is signed. Let's hear the voice notes. I remember uh, Zico from Binoni here. You know, I'm just worried about the way uh, Itumilin Kunya was so angry, like uh, after the after the match, like some players don't deserve to work in the Chiefs' bench. And it's not for the first time he says that. You know, they are really, really, really angering him. These people, really, really, really. So I'm just uh, afraid he will do what Mambush once did. You know, if they don't take care of this situation, he will do what Mambush did. I'm telling you, very soon he will do that. Okay, Zico not agreeing with Itumeling Okune's uh, post-match uh, conference there, uh, well, post-match interview rather. And Jack in Albertin says, when I see the backline of Chiefs, including Geza, Nampatele and Walusimbi, I lick my lips. Okay. That's, I lick my lips because I know it's another win for the Sea Robbers. Why are they not playing Matoho and Kadoso? Mpatele and Walusimbi are good at whipping high crosses, but for who? That's uh, the uh, SMS from Jack there in Alberton. Let's move on now because it was such a busy weekend. And let's talk rugby. Uh, the Springboks finishing their end of the year tour with defeat against Wales. And we've got a special guest on the line. And it's an honor for us here on SAFM to speak to former Springbok Bakis Bota. Bakis, good evening and thank you very much for joining us here on SAFM, sir. We really appreciate your time. Thanks. Uh, thanks a lot, Tabisu. Uh, it's great to see you uh, calling. And let's talk a little bit of rugby here. Yes, Bakis, we want you to help us look at the year that was for the box. But let's start with the Worlds game. Where did the box fall short for you in that one on Saturday night? Yeah, no, it's, I think it was a little bit of com- uh, composure. Uh, uh, if you look uh, at the test match in a whole, uh, yes, we had we had a lot of opportunities, but we came short. Eh? And uh, yeah, if we're on attack, especially in the 22, there was a little bit of over-eager and uh, yeah, and I think the Wales was uh, Wales was definitely very clever. Uh, they, we we did a few times the rush defence, and they just kicked the ball over the rush defence, and uh, the one uh, the one player just uh, tackled in, so and they scored. But it was a it was a tough match. But uh, at the end of the day, Wales Wales came up uh, winning winning team. But yeah, if we if we if we look at the at the final test match, I think uh, it's actually a pity we lost it uh, because. Going to the World Cup next year is all about momentum, eh? and uh, we lost a little bit of momentum this last this match. But uh, definitely, uh, Springboks will definitely be be a power next year come coming the World Cup. Overall, on this tour, two wins out of four. How would you describe this end of the year tour for the box packers? Yeah, I, I always say to the guys when they ask me, uh, you you as a supporter or analyzer of, of rugby, uh, you can see the the glass half full or the glass half half empty. It depends on how do you do you look at it, eh? because uh, yeah, it was it was a very close game, uh, but uh, not Wales. I think uh, the, the, the Springboks uh, played the, the worst game uh, against Wales, but uh, France, England, Scotland, phenomenal uh, uh, test rugby, eh? and uh, and the Springboks show that they 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 uh, they up there to to go, to be competitive next year in the World Cup. But again, I think Rossi is at the stage now. That he that he needs to finalise his uh, his combinations. I think the most important thing for the guys is, is combinations. Uh, which which combinations is Rossi going to put together coming World Cup? I think we've got four or five games left that he needs to uh, analyse uh, next year, and then he needs to decide. Listen, yeah, this is my starting fifteen, and then uh, other replacements coming in. But definitely, I think Rossi is almost eighty percent there. To uh, to pick his uh, combinations for the starting lineup, but yeah, it's it, it, it was it was actually a, a good end of the year tour. I think uh, England, France, uh, it was close games, and we're in there. I, I, we're in there, and, and, and we put some uh, uh, stuff together for next year's World Cup, and I'm and I'm very excited for next year. Mm. And looking at the overall year now, seven wins out of fourteen. The coach gave uh, a five out of ten scorecard for himself and the team. Uh, but there was a serious win over England. There was that victory over the All Blacks, and also that heartbreaking loss at home against the All Blacks. Has the year been good enough, Bakis? Yeah, no. Like I said earlier, it's fifty percent winning ratio, and uh, and again, you you need to decide by yourself. But in my my perspective, is is uh, to fifty uh, percent winning ratio, but. We, we we did beat the All Blacks at home, and we just lost uh, at home against the All Blacks. And you always want to test yourself against the best in the world. Eh? So uh, I truly believe that we benefited more out of this season that you think if you look at the results, you'll say, ah, okay, 50, 50% winning rate, are we there, are we not? 
But I think we, we, we took a lot of confidence out of, uh, out of this season, even if we did uh, have a 50% winning rate, because uh, we won the All Blacks. And to, to win the All Blacks in, in New Zealand, uh, you need to have a, speci- a special team. And I truly believe with C.R. Khaleesi leading the guys, we, we've definitely got a, got a special Springbok side that will go next year to the World Cup. And uh, uh, hopefully, and we believe that we'll, they will be de- definitely competitive with the All Blacks in their pool. They need to be at the best for the first pool game. And then Ireland up there as well. But definitely, I think to win the All Blacks, there needs to be a special team. And we do have that special Springbok team going into the World Cup next year. And what are the areas of improvement for you that the box will need to work on before that World Cup and that opening match against the All Blacks? Yeah, I think the pack of forwards, uh, so it's almost uh, sorted out. I think in the midfield, uh, Rossi, Rossi still uh, scratching his head a little bit. I think in the centres, I think uh, our two wingers and fullback is all, almost settled in nicely. And uh, yeah, I think uh, there's, there's a centre pair. Is, is he still a headache for, for Rossi? You'll see every time in the test match after 50, 55 minutes, they will they will move ball out to to centre and bring in Yankees. So I think definitely that's that's one uh, uh, point that Rossi is still uh, deciding on what what his combination is going to be. But the rest of the team, like I said, it's almost 80 percent uh, combinations wide. I think Rossi already knows what what his combination looks like, and he's starting 15. And uh, definitely, uh, if you look at uh, some uh, points that you need to be critical on. I think the centre pair, Rossi, still uh, think about one or two players. But the, the chances is getting a few now. Uh, like I said, we only got four or five games left next year to make that final decision. Listen, uh, what players is he going to put in inside and outside centre? But definitely the two centres is, is still a headache for Rossi, I believe. But he will sort it out. And we still definitely got uh, good players, world-class players in that position. Great stuff. Bacchus Botta. Pleasure hearing from you, sir, and thank you very much for your wonderful insight here on SAFM. Thank you very much, uh, and look after yourself, guys, and all my regards and love to all the listeners. Thank Have a great evening. Thank you. You too, Obakis Bota, a legend of the game, of course. Obakis Bota, they're giving us his thoughts. So, not all in doom not all doom and gloom for the Springboks. Uh, it might be a 50% win ratio, uh, but there is a lot to be positive about. Uh, there is that kind of sense of belief in the team that they do believe that they can win matches. And, uh, yeah, you can see that, obviously, the coach did say even when he took over that the big plan was the World Cup. And I guess that's when the coach then will be judged on the performance of the World Cup because all the coaches are building up towards the World Cup. I mean, Michael Shecker, the Australia coach, has lost so many matches, but he still has his job because he's got one eye on the World Cup. So that was Bakis Botta, Springbok legend, speaking to us. Up next, we're going to talk hockey. We're going to talk to the players. We're going to hear from SA Hockey. Uh, if you were listening to us back in uh, August, we did cover the story of uh, the players actually uh, listening to uh, uh, putting out a list of their grievances regarding transformation and uh, we couldn't speak to them at the time we couldn't speak to SA Hockey at the time but the two parties did meet this past weekend and we've got the players in studio with us and they'll tell us how that meeting went and what their grievances are and also we'll hear from SA Hockey after the break Afternoon Express is your premium weekday lifestyle show only on SABC3. Tune in all through the holiday season for your daily dose of lifestyle entertainment. Every Monday, we bring you some of the most inspirational people to keep you motivated. Join the Tuesday cook-along to get tips on how to prepare flavorful dishes for your whole family. Whether you're spending your holidays at home, at work or outdoors, we will provide you with all your leisure needs suitable for everyone. Weekdays from 4.30 to 5.30, only on 3. This Sunday evening, it's Music Galore on SABC2. Words of wisdom to help you through the week. And a life-changing testimony that will awaken your faith. It's Gospel Time, every Sunday at 9pm, only on SABC2, where you belong. It's exam season, but that's no reason to panic. So whether you're trying to catch up or just take a short break, Hectic 99 has got you covered. Tune in every single day from Monday to Fridays, right here on Hectic 99, 4.30 to 5pm, to catch the best teen entertainment right here on SABC2, where you belong. Call SAFM right now, on 0891-104-207. Okay, let's now talk... 
hockey. Let's talk to the players for transformation in SA hockey. We have written to the association, listing a number of their grievances, and uh, they join us in studio now. Uh, Pums Mbande joins us, as well as uh, uh, Shane Johnson and Owen Vimbi. Uh, good evening, everyone, and thank you very much for joining us. Good evening, Tabiso, and uh, hello to all your listeners. Thank you so much for having us. I'll yeah. start. I'll start with the lady Pums. Good evening again. <laughs> We, we came across this letter in August where the grievances were listed. Firstly, was it a tough step to take considering that you're still an active player, you're a national team player? No, I mean, of course, it was a, a tough step to take. And that's part of the reason we couldn't actually speak to you in August because we were still trying to keep things um, very much in the boardroom. We were writing letters, we were sending emails um, and basically just trying to keep it away from any... Um, negativity that might come with what we are trying to do but I think we've come to a point where we've done all we can to try get everyone's attention and I think this is yeah this is a step that was necessary to take. Is there no fear of victimization? There 100% is. Um, it's a consideration all the players took, um, the players that signed the original petition that we signed in August. Um, we all sat and we discussed it and we said there's a chance that we may never maybe make a provincial or national side in future. But things have gotten to a point where we are ready to take whatever comes our way. Um, we'll obviously be heartbroken if we never get to play for our provinces and our country again. But if that's what it comes to, then that's what it needs to come to. So then how many players are part of this Players for Transformation? Are they all players of colour? Do you have support? Um, at the moment, it's a it's very much a growing group. So the original group that signed the petition is about 40 individuals. But, I mean, we've got a Facebook page. Um, we've got a Twitter handle. So we are growing. Um, we do have support from a few, non, uh, a few people that aren't pl- players of colour. But for the most part, it's definitely black-coloured players. Shane? What is it that the players are not happy about? <laughs> Good question, Tabi. So I think the players um, are unhappy about a number of things that are occurring in SA Hockey. Of course, as you would have read um, in some of our media statements and some of our communication that we've released um, over the past uh, few days, we're primarily concerned about the state of transformation in our country um, and in hockey in particular, particularly from a selection perspective, from a management perspective, from a Saha executive and Saha governing structures perspective. Um, um, so in that regard, we feel that after 24, 26 years of democracy, we um, have not we have not transformed as a sport. Um, and as players, we are very concerned. Now, how was this letter received? How was this received by the people in charge? Or these grievances, how have they been received? I think during our discussions, and I've mentioned this in, in, in informal uh, discussions with, with the rest of the group, I think in our initial formal discussions with uh, the South African Hockey Association and other interested bodies, I think they generally they genuinely did take our concerns into account. And face-to-face, uh, we feel that they genuinely have taken on board that this is an issue that needs needs to be addressed um but like pumi has mentioned in the in the initial part of this interview we feel that um adequate action has not ta- be, has not been taken uh by the South African Hockey Association and hence why we are on radio today Owen, you've been in the system for some time. I think you even went to go play overseas at some stage. I mean, are these issues prevalent? Uh is it something that's been raised before? Um I remember that I was once the person who raised it at a, at a camp, I think it was 2013, and there was a massive camp that happened in Cape Town. And I think I was still maybe less than 20 caps at the time. But in my mind, at during those times, I kept thinking, in order for me to play for South Africa, I had to outplay the three players of color that were ahead of me. And I had that, and I was quite comfortable with um, one of the selectors at the time when we had our one-on-ones. And there were two other selectors as well in the, in that one-on-one, or this a three-on-one. And I just asked the question. I said, like, so am I here to find five, four spots for three spots, or can I make the whole 18? Could there be four or five extra players of color in this team? And they actually didn't give me an answer. And I think that's when my friends within the squad knew, and they were sitting by, and they heard, and I told them in any case afterwards. And since then, nothing had ever happened. I was still a junior. And now I just feel that... I'm watching certain similar trends, if not the exact type of trends happening. And I'm not a senior, but I've got a lot more experience and I'm a lot more, I could say, mature and wiser in terms of life. And I'm not really happy to just sit back and let the younger players that are extremely talented and they're at the World Cup in the moment 
obviously get treated in a similar manner, which is unfair. And to have such thoughts, they must just be free to... And the ones that want to make the team must also not think they have to replace another player of colour. They can just play for any spot in the 18. And that's what we're fighting for. Do you think there is a will to change things or there's a lack of will at SA Hockey? Um, for, from SA Hockey, the execs, Saha, I'd say there is a will. I think just not everyone's agreeing on it. Personally, this is how I feel. I don't think some are saying not too much, just take it slow. I feel it's a feeling, I want to like an assumption and what I'm gauging from the meetings and stuff. But I also feel that some are really in it. They do want to change, but they don't have the power or the will or they don't want to make the stand or I don't know. There's too many other variables that are affecting them to actually put their foot down and make the change or go against what they feel is wrong, which we are not aware of at the moment and that's why I'm trying to work closely with them to see if we can find out more information and, and work together instead of like in isolation. Mm. You say in the letter, Pooms, that after 24 years of democracy, you're saddened that we are still addressing these issues. Is that how much this hurts you? It's Considering where we've come as a country and where we are going as a country. In my personal opinion, I don't think this is a fight we should be having. Um, us, us as players of colour asking to be treated fairly and equally and given the same opportunities as white players, I think that's a conversation we shouldn't be having. We We should be much further along, not just considering the efforts that may the efforts that have been put in place by the likes of Saskok in terms of setting bare minimum standards that we should be adhering to but just looking at us as a country like overall mm. we're also joined on the line by Nikki Veto Nikki good evening I'm just checking firstly if you can hear us um, good evening I can definitely hear you Okay, Nikki is another player, of course, also. You've been very vocal on social media, Nikki. You're not mincing your words. Is this now, has it come to a boiling point now, this matter? Yeah, I think we've gone too long. Like, the situation just keeps on getting worse. And if we don't speak now, we're not only hurting, like, the future of hockey, but also young black kids will never get, like, a chance to fully play and they'll experience the same problem. So, like, this is the time now to stand up against it and fight it with absolutely no fear and to, like, face the system head on. You say in one of your tweets that we have so many stories to tell from coaches claiming that black players are injured and coaching forgetting players of colour on the bench during international games. I've kept quiet about the abuse of players of colour that they receive in hockey because I've always wanted to play in the national team and speaking out would mean I would need to forget my childhood dream. I'm done being quiet in fact we are done being quiet so just like owen was saying now you're doing this for the future generation now it's not even about you guys it's not even about us and it's actually quite sad because we're still young and we have these goals i mean i'm only 21 but we have to be realistic like with the way things are set up we might not ever be able to play again but knowing that my baby cousin or the little child in the location can somehow get an opportunity to play one day is fulfilling enough for us to go ahead and do this. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to hear from SA Hockey. They couldn't join us live um, on the show, uh, but we did manage to speak with Marisa Langeni, the CEO, CEO before uh, before the show started. Okay, we're going to go straight to the interview, but be, before I go there, Shane, are you guys getting any support? Are you getting support from the media? Are you getting support from former players? Or do you feel that you're isolated? No, I definitely feel that we are uh, receiving quite a bit of support. We have an online petition. Um, the online petition is currently sitting at 1,700 people and it's growing every day, every minute of every day, which we're very pleased about. Um, we've also received support from previous uh, ex-national players. Um, some are quite prestigious players. Players like Marsha Marisha um, has come out um, in great support of us and she's actually really a stalwart of the game and someone who um, hockey players around the country still admire despite having retired uh, quite a while ago so we definitely have received a lot of support from ex-players current coaches um yeah and, and lots of hockey lovers around the country okay great stuff if you do want to join the conversation at any time feel free to uh, call us on 891 our sms line is four zero four zero nine three eight. on whatsapp we take voice notes on 061-4104-107 and on twitter it's hashtag safm spot on let's hear from uh, sa hockey ceo marissa uh, langini Yes, we had a meeting um, facilitated or rather mediated by SASCOC um, last Saturday between the South African Hockey Association as well as the Players for Transformation. 
just a meeting to see if, you know, we could still find each other as we had done um, up until this point and to discuss a way forward in terms of how we wanted to, to address the process of leading up to, to the national in Daba. Um, and I think the meeting was quite fruitful on our part, and I think the players um, came also with, with the same objectives, and the main objectives were to still achieve the national in Daba, which we had discussed uh, prior with the players, and we walked away basically and then... Um, establishing a, a, a task team that would work on this project and obviously work together with South African Hockey to make sure that we have a concerted effort and a joint effort in addressing transformation. So what's the next step now? So the next step now is obviously to finalise the terms of reference of that task team um, and that they're planning to do by the end of, of this week on Friday and to obviously then begin the work of, of the task team itself. In terms of the national uh, transformation in Daba, as we had said previously, we were all in agreement with regards to, to having the national in Daba and in support of having a national in Daba. Where the wheels came off was the actual logistical processes of setting a date and setting um, the timeframes of when that event would take place. The players for transformation had an expectation that it would happen prior to our national um, AGM as well as our council meetings. Uh, we also had that anticipation in mind, but unfortunately the funding is not coming from ourselves, um, so that process actually fell apart in terms of finalizing the date. But we're back on track to, to looking at finalizing the actual date and making sure that we've got the logistical support and the funding in place to ensure that we can support um, attendees that have been identified to attend the Indaba itself. And do you believe that these grievances raised by the players are valid? I think, um, Tabi, so in, in the landscape of transformation and um, in the landscape of, of, of what we are discussing specifically with players, they have raised a number of vast, um, areas that we need to look at. Just for example, the selection panels for national teams, the selection panels for provincial teams, the selection panels for schools teams across the board, different age groups, uh, boys and girls, men and women. So they have come to the party looking across the entire EPG document that we have with government. And they've said that the pace of transformation is very slow in every single aspect. And I think it is time that we have a concerted effort and looking down at every single area that we need to look at um, as defined within EPG as well as defined by the Transformation Charter. So, yes, there's lots of validity to what the players have brought to the party. Um, I think one of the most critical things is that the pace has been extremely slow. And we need to go back to the drawing board and ensuring that all of our stakeholders, from players to parents to supporters of the game, that we can actually go back to the drawing board and set concerted efforts in place with regards to timeframes. And is it the first time, Marisa, that uh, issues like this have been raised to SA Hockey? I don't think it's the first time. I believe even before my time as a CEO of South African Hockey, there's been conversations obviously around transformation. I know that when we started engaging with the EPG process and, and being highlighted as one of the 16 priority codes that would participate in the EPG process after the pilot project, I know that even at that stage we had started engaging with our provinces and started dissecting the documentation that we had to get get through as an association. So certainly not the first time, but the first time that a player group has come across the way that they have and the manner that they've, they've, they've conducted themselves in, in running through this process, this is certainly the first time for us. So uh, the last time, when we came across this in August, the players didn't want to speak at the time for fear of victimization. Now that they've spoken and they've come out publicly, um, can you assure them that they won't be victimized in the future? I don't think that victimization is part of our business plan, Tabi. So, um, and I think that at the end of the day, any players in any environment who speak up against the system will always have fear of victimization. But it's certainly not the intention of South African hockey to victimize anybody. And we hope that all of our constituents are exactly on the same page with us on this. Okay, so that's the CEO of SA Hockey, Marisa Langini, giving us their side of the story. We've got a, a WhatsApp voice note and we've got a couple of questions also coming through here uh, for the players and we'll continue after the break. SAFM values your views. Be an active citizen.
Okay, on Twitter, Vincent says, this baffles me. Things like this continue to happen. I must wonder, where is the Department of Sport? What is the role of this office? We've also got a question here, guys, on WhatsApp that says, um, there is a rumor that the current national men's team was not signed off by the convener of selectors. Could any of the panel uh, confirm this? Uh, yes. Um, so we we also questioned that with Saha, and it is true. Well, they agreed. We weren't. I'm not part of the selection panel, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, we, we we raised that question in the meetings that we've had with uh, with the South African execs, and it's, it's a fact that um, the convener did not sign off the team. And furthermore, it was also a fact that um, part of uh, it's a that's a body that thing from Sasco they to also ratify the team, and that they also did not ratify the team. On what grounds, though? That we did not get the answers for that, which we've. They, uh, the response we got actually from Saha was that um, we shouldn't actually know that information. Oh, wow. Okay, let's go to the voice note. Yeah, so I think I, I really do um, respect what the PFT is all about. And I think as a player of color coming up in the Rhines, I was so oblivious to, as to why a few players of color were picked for provincial sides. And it really made us feel inadequate as players and really broke our confidence. And but you know you know you keep going forward and um, even up until today playing club le- playing club level I've still experienced similar exclusions. We have just been another number on the bench. But you just play because you love the game. What can you do, Pooms? Maybe you can we can break down some of these issues. Uh, the issues of selection at all levels has been raised. What exactly is happening or is not happening when it comes to selection? Well, I. I can speak firstly to school level selection, for example, where we found we've we've had we've heard stories from parents from um, provincial coaches where players in different provinces are being selected just to fill in the numbers. So, and I'm talking four out of the sixteen or four out of the eighteen just to make the bare minimum. And then those players that have been included in the sides are either not playing at all, or they're playing maybe let's say the first three games of the tournament, and they're not they're not playing the rest of the tournament. Now in hockey systems, there's a rule in place at school level that says all players must play a certain um, amount of time for each for each tournament. Um, and what coaches are doing across the country is that they're not. They're playing the players early in the tournament and they're not playing them for the rest of the tournament. And then further to that, at higher levels, we've got on, on selection panels, we, we have no representation. We have no, we have no black or colored selectors that are able to voice their opinion regarding transformation. So as I mentioned earlier, there are transformation rules in place, but they're never adhered to. And no one is holding, no one is being held accountable for not meeting those, those requirements that have been set. So that's why we're saying there needs to be a change, not just from a player perspective, but from the people that are running the system. There's no ways we can expect a white person to speak up against every single other white person that's responsible for that type of selection. You want to add to that? And, and obviously you speak from experience. You want to add to that, Shane? Yes, Tabiso. I think that um, from an objective perspective, we should just have regard to the eminent persons group report released by the Department of Sports and Recreation. Yes, I was about to go to that actually. Right. So that report actually really just provides the, the facts and statistics yeah. around where we at from a transformation perspective, not only in terms of Saha's governing structures, but also in terms of teams, provincial teams, national teams, um, the schooling system, the state of transformation is in the red. There's no doubt about that. It's very clearly spelled out in that report and that's really what we're fighting for we're fighting to change that system um which it's it really is in a state in a state of emergency from our perspective and we cannot be in that state in 2018 and I guess it goes back to that question from, uh, I think it was Vincent, who says, what is the sports department doing? Because they uh, get this EPG, Eminent Persons Group, to sit and do this report. But why are people not being held accountable? We remember with the rugby, they said they wouldn't be allowed to beat for the 2023 World Cup. That still went ahead, despite no changes being seen. Oh, and uh, there's also the issue of development. Just break down for, for, for us. What is the big issue with development? Because we've spoken about hockey before, and it's obviously not a cheap sport. Um, so I'm gonna speak on on two different parts. Um, let me speak from the development. If we're trying to groom and make players better, we have to coach them. So as as players, former players, or coaches at schools or at provincial teams. So if you are gonna select players for a particular reason, you still need to coach them to make them better. If you feel they're not good enough, so still coach them. Mm-hmm. So that that that's I think is 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 really key 
to what we have to do as I think especially players because there's no sport I'm mean, no money in hockey in South Africa many players would probably rather go coach and do private coaching where people can afford it and the less better coaches will maybe or people with better hearts not that people don't have good hearts but they will go coach development mm. and that's not may not be getting the quality we need the other perspective in development if you want to make it talk about let's say all the players of color that are really have opportunities and they're actually all quality players mm. so in school systems there's a 50 50 of there must be half players of color half whites in their national teams that's been happening since i was probably 16. but as it gets to national level as you get to under 21 and men's and ladies decreases the number decreases and we're losing a lot of players so that's where we really see that there's no effort in transformation that the players are there when they're 16 17 18 even yeah. 19 but when you get to 22 they can't wait to catch out yeah. and it's happening too quickly to too many players like if 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 nikki doesn't want to play now she's 21 yeah. that's unreal if there's a lot of white players that are 34 going to world cup and stuff like that yeah. so only the selected few players that are um, only the set of three players of color that are fortunate, I'll call it luck, that you've been picked, can now you get through and you're the you baby being benched and then you're now scared to speak up because you might be replaced. Perhaps that's that's the thing, and that's where the I think the worst part of development is happening. Whom's you want to add to that? My thing was going to be that um, if you look at, for example, squad composition, so not final teams but squad compositions. If you look at the numbers there, it's quite clear that later on when the team's cut down, there's no way we're ever going to reach the 50-50 because we, mm. we're starting at such a lower level. Mm. So, and, and if you look at the players of color that have remained in the system for the last, I don't know, five, six, seven years, it's generally been the same people the whole time. Exactly. Um, so that's why we're saying people need to be given the opportunity. We're not saying put people of color in teams, even if you think they're not good enough. We're saying give us the chance to prove our worth. And once we're there and you say, we can see, okay, this person's really not up to standard, then we'll need to go back home and, and, and work and improve and look to be better. But another issue is that you get called to one camp, you do badly because you probably didn't even expect to get called to a camp, then you never come back because you did so badly at that one camp. And then you have white players that are coming to camp, camp after camp, year after year, and have been given chance after chance and are still in the system somehow, still making final mm. teams. So we all we are asking is that players of colour be given the same opportunities. Nikki, I'll give you the last word. After the beating this past weekend with SA Hockey and Saskok, are you positive that things will improve? Unfortunately, I couldn't make it to the meeting because I've been in PE. But I definitely think that with our, like the way we've been working hard at this, there's no ways we can fail. We will continue to work hard and push and hopefully form a relationship with the other party um, in order to ensure that everything works out. In 10 seconds, Shane, does the response from SA Hockey and what happened this past weekend give you confidence? Yes, I think now that we have established a task team um, and Pumalila and I are actually part of that task team together with the South African Hockey Association, I think it's the first time we've been included in their structures. So I think from that perspective, it's a, it's a step in the right direction. But to be so, time will tell. Uh, there's a lot of hard work to be done. Okay, guys, thank you very much for coming through to studio and you guys are really brave to take up these issues while you are still playing and credit uh, to you. And let's hope that SA Hockey will keep their word and you will not be victimized. Up next is Mr. Ashraf Gada with The Viewpoint. And tonight's big hitter has been tweeting about it the whole day. Professor Mamukheti Pakeng, University of Cape Town, Vice-Chancellor.